And, and what's a coyote to do if not to eat roadrunners or to find something to eat? Yet he never can seem to get it all together. He, he gets all these great plans and somehow uh, has a contract with Acme. You know, everything is Acme uh, that, that he uh, goes, even that anvil, I'm sure, he got and ordered from Acme. And uh, he tries to set traps for the roadrunner. And the roadrunner just has the best time. Sometimes it gets a little daunting for the roadrunner, uh, and you think he's never going to get out of this one, but he always does. He always makes that beep, beep, and takes off and disappears, and then something terrible happens to Wile E. Coyote. And I think in this particular episode, which we're not going to watch, uh, <laughs> I knew it, I knew it. Uh, that's a teaser for next week. Uh, but I think the anvil falls on Wiley Coyote, but somehow he's able to crawl out from underneath it and to uh, hatch yet another plan to catch the roadrunner. But the roadrunner always outsmarts Wiley Coyote. Doesn't matter what he does to try to get him down. He always is able to get away. As we hear the gospel text today from, from Jesus, I know it's a stretch to be able to include uh, the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. But stay with me. I think there may be something we can uh, put together here. Jesus is there teaching about God, and he is representing God, and he is sharing the words that, that God has intended for the people of God. And as he is sharing these words with them, he is wanting them to understand how it is that they can overcome the injustice and the oppression and all of the things that come against them as they follow after God. And every time they set out to do what God wants them to do, it seems like either they work against themselves or the uh, Roman government or a foreign government comes and oppresses them and, and pushes them farther down. And what Jesus is saying to them is that there is a way a very creative, imaginative way that they can overcome their enemies. But it's in, it's in a way and in a package that they would have never suspected. As we hear from this text that Matthew gives to us today, uh, we also recognize there is the other text we've heard. And it's one that Jesus leaned on. Uh, Jesus would continue to allude to Leviticus and there's, there's really not a lot of excitement in Leviticus, is there? Uh, unless you're talking about the passage where it says that if your child disobeys you, you can take them out to the edge of the city and stone them to death, right? Do I hear an amen, parents? <laughs> I'll find it for you. Uh, and uh, then there's the one about wearing your clothes. You know, if, if, it, if you have two different strands... Uh, woven together, then, I mean, certainly you could be put to death for that. All of us would be in trouble here today, um, and probably if we ever wore polyester um, and some other fabric that was woven uh, with it, then we would be in trouble. There, but there's not much else there in Leviticus. And as we look at the lectionary texts that we use each week that are used throughout the world in, in churches, uh, not all churches look to these texts on a weekly basis, but uh, but probably most of them do. Uh, we find that this is about the only part of Leviticus that, that we see. Because most of it is a lot of what we see here of thou shalt not do this and don't do this. I mean, it's just one thing after another about what you can't do. But if you're going to define it and, and really summarize it with a particular theme, it is the theme of holiness. That you are to be holy 
as God is holy. And that word holy really in, in, in its root form means to be other than. That you would be separate from everybody else. And if you will do these things, then, then you become separate from all of the, the wicked ways of the world and you become uh, pure and righteous like God. And so they would do their best not only to try to follow the most basic things like the ten uh, words or the ten commandments given by God, but they at some point thought, well, we need to come up with some more. Uh, and they would just come up with volumes and volumes of things that they were supposed to do. But Jesus looks to this passage as well as uh, to others and continues to talk about them as he's teaching, not just on the Sermon on the Mount, but pretty much everywhere else he went. He is referencing and pointing back to a foundation that has, has been given to him. And one of the things that we know about Jesus, you know, the first time he gets in trouble, or at least the first time we know about him getting into trouble, is because he stays back. Uh, at the uh, temple, as they, as his parents and his family, they go on back to their hometown. They look around, and I'm not sure what kind of parents they were, but as they looked around, they thought, "Where's Jesus? He's not with us." And they go back and find him. And what's he doing? He is studying. He is listening. He is taking in as much as he can. And we know that this is something that he would have heard there. But Jesus is boiling it all down for them just as Leviticus boils it all down for, for the people of that time. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see uh, some of the specifics that are there, and, and it all comes back to the poor. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the very edges of your field, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare, or gather the fallen grapes of your vine, or your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Within their system, their economic system, within their religious system, within their system of doing community with one another, they always made room for those who didn't have anything. They were to look out for those who uh, maybe couldn't produce anything because of their health or because of their age or because of their marital status or whatever it was. Really, there weren't any questions to be asked. God wanted to be sure they were looking after the poor and that they were providing food for them. And, and how selfish it would be if you picked up every last uh, part uh, of your produce and uh, either sold it or kept it for yourself. Because that was not God's intention in giving the, the harvest. It was to be shared with other people. And so this was something they could count on. And it's this idea of gleaning the harvest. So we see not only here, but uh, as we go on to, to read the rest of this about, you know, you shouldn't defraud your neighbor. Uh, you, you shouldn't say terrible things about your neighbor. You shouldn't do any of that. You should love your neighbor, especially if your neighbor is someone in your kin, in, in your particular family. You are to love them. This is what God wants. So Jesus is using this passage in Leviticus as a foundation for his Sermon on the Mount. And he would talk to them about loving uh, their neighbors. And we've looked at that back on uh, the Sunday right after Valentine's Day. We considered what it means to have the shape of the heart of God. That God desires to shape our heart, not just for the benefit of ourselves, but for the benefit of other people around us. 
And it is that idea of a sacrificial kind of love. If you love your neighbor, then you will do things for your neighbor, Jesus says. You will be there for them. You will care for them. And you will help them get out of the injustice or the oppression that they are under. And certainly these people that were hearing Jesus' sermon, they knew about uh, these kinds of injustice. And and they were the people who were being kicked and pushed down and, and mistreated, robbed. And they were looking to Jesus for some answers. And so he, he just gives these answers to them. If you look here in your Bible or in, in the bulletin where it's printed, Matthew 5, 38 through 48. I mentioned last week about Jesus throughout his sermon, this long sermon we've been looking at. He, he says, you've heard it said. In other words, you already know because the, the teachers have taught this. But I say, and so he, he keeps adding and 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 uh, illuminating and expanding what they already knew about the law. It says, well, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, which was the law, right? If, if uh, you knocked out my eye, then I get to knock out your eye. I'm not sure how you'd knock out an eye, but, you know, if, if I were to hurt you, you could hurt me back, but only in the sense of, of in the same value that, uh, that I took from you. But, and Jesus says, you've heard that that is acceptable, but I say to you, Do not resist an evildoer. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. Now there's a lot of misunderstanding about this. Uh, There is this idea that, uh, and and you can see it as a pattern throughout, really since Jesus said this, that okay, that means I ought to just let people beat on me. I ought to just allow people to oppress me or to, to push me down in society or to say terrible things about me. And Jesus doesn't want me to do anything about that at all. Other people have taken this and applied it in a civil sense or talked about um, how we ought to do our our national defense system, that we shouldn't have a national defense system. We ought to, you know, we are a Christian nation, so we ought to allow people to just strike us and we'll turn our other cheek and they can strike us back. By the way, we had a great discussion about this Wednesday night. Uh, as we were looking at a particular chapter in the book that, that we're studying. And uh, I'll tell you, we didn't come up with a good answer on this, but we had a lot of really good discussion. But Jesus is talking about how they relate to other people around them. If someone comes and strikes you, uh, and the way that they would do this, and as we understand the context of their times, uh, it would be normal to uh, backhand someone and to show them that they are beneath you. And you would strike them across the face. And uh, what Jesus is saying is, okay, when they do that, turn to them your other cheek as well. Because what that would require of them is to open hand slap you and to hit you on that side of your face, which would mean that you're an equal with them if you hit them that way. But it would also mean that they're going to be looking you in the eye and they are going to have to deal with you as being an equal. Jesus is saying, be creative. Don't just sit there and take it, but develop some way of being able to shame them for the oppression that they are putting upon you. Be creative. And and so as they're hearing this, they're hearing it in a little bit different way than we are. And he goes on to say, he gives more uh, creativity here. He says, "If uh, if somebody wants to sue you and take your coat, in other words, if all you have left to provide for your debt or whatever else, whatever wrong you've done to someone, if all you have left is your outer garment, 
They're going to sue you for it. They're going to take your outer garment. So go ahead and give it to them. But don't stop there, Jesus says. Take off all your clothes. Just go ahead and strip down naked. And when you do that, you will shame the court. You'll shame the person who is taking you to court because you were not uh, to ever do that to somebody. You could take their outer garment, but you could not shame them in that way. Jesus says, just go ahead and dance out of there naked. (laughs) Also, uh, if anybody begs from you, don't refuse anybody who wants to uh, borrow from you. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go the second mile, which is where we get that great expression, going the extra mile. A Roman soldier could ask anyone to carry his bag, but only for one mile. After that one mile, uh, the person had to set the bag down and the Roman soldier had to keep on. He could not ask him to carry it another mile. Jesus says, okay, go ahead and pick up the bag and carry that soldier's equipment. But once you get to the first mile marker, just keep on going. And in doing so, you will shame that Roman soldier. And you will be able to, uh, to get a whole different perspective. And they will get a whole different perspective. And the society will begin to see things differently. That these people are uh, portraying something very different about this Jesus Christ and this person that they follow. So we see here that it's just this continuation of, of doing things in order to get their attention. And, and this is a strategy. It's one that... We've talked about before that Martin Luther King and uh, before him that, that Gandhi would use as a way of, of doing nonviolence. He do, Jesus doesn't say stand up and punch the guy. He doesn't say, uh, you know, take out your sword and, and go after him. He doesn't say any of that. But he does say it is okay to resist them. Do so creatively. And that's where this idea of nonviolence resistance comes into place. And uh, certainly it is something that is very difficult, very challenging. And that's why we say these are the hard words of Jesus. These are the hard teachings of Jesus. And we need to to let them uh, wash over us uh, constantly because we need to be reminded of them. But Jesus is also going at something uh, very different here. Uh, As he says in this next paragraph, You've heard it said, which we just heard it said in Leviticus, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Great. My neighbor is my wife, uh, and, and it's easy for me to love her. Amen. <laughs> it's always easy to love her. Um, but if I have an enemy, uh, it's not so easy. And what Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus said, there's something else you need to do here. You need to go a step beyond and love your enemies. This is the kingdom of God. And I thought the, uh, the picture that was there, or the, the small film that was on there, uh, was a great example of that. You know, of, of just the difficulty that there is, especially when someone's throwing big rocks at you, and when you get a, a, a bump on your head, much like that. Because what we want to do is pick up all those rocks and throw them back. And what Jesus says is, don't do that. Use your rocks. Use their weapons to build a bridge that will enable you to love them. We don't see what happens after that. I don't know if the guy gets more rocks and throws them at at him or not. But he continues on. There is this way of overwhelming our enemies. With love. 
Love is supreme. Love is what makes uh, our understanding of God blossom. As we understand that God loves us, we can love each other in the same kind of way. Jesus came into our world to exhibit that kind of love. That is the love of Calvary. As Jesus would go to the cross, He would, would do so willingly and do so to make the greatest statement that has ever been made. Love wins. And as we consider what this means for our lives, we could recognize we have people that come against us, don't we? Who are the wily coyotes at work? Who are the wily coyotes at, at school or in your relationships or uh, people who continue to, to find ways to, to push you down or to say things about you, to, to slander you or to take things from you? We all have those people. And some of those people you're probably rather bitter about this morning, aren't you? If you say you have no sin, we all have those areas in our lives, those things that we need to deal with. And so what we need to hear in this is we need to find a way to turn the other cheek. We need to outsmart them with the love of God. And that's going to take a lot of different creative forms. I remember hearing about Jenny's father. He was just a dear soul uh, just an incredible man and, and had uh, a really powerful way with people. He was, uh, when I met him, the manager at Saks Fifth Avenue in Houston um, in the, uh, the men's suit area. And as he uh, worked in that area, uh, he had a, a lot of clients. Everybody loved Bill Richardson. And uh, so people would come in and, uh, and uh, want to be able to help. And he knew how to do that. But he also knew how to help his employees do that. But there was uh, one particular guy um, who, who was always working against him, who was always uh, saying bad things about him or trying to mess up his work or maybe trying to take his clients and, and just, just a real burr under his saddle. And uh, one of the things that, uh, that uh, Jenny's dad did when um, something came about with this guy's health, his name was Andre, as he had to go into the hospital um, it would have been very easy for Jenny's dad to either try to just go ahead and get rid of him at that point um, or to rejoice in the fact that this guy's finally sick or, you know, there's something wrong with him. But what he did was he went and visited him in the hospital. He went to him and to show him that he cared for him, that he loved him. And after that, uh, they were the best of friends. He was able to overwhelm him in a very creative kind of way, but a way that showed love and compassion. Just a very simple thing, but that's always stayed with me. Because when people come against us, God gives us opportunities to be able to win them over with the love of God. It's not always an easy thing, yet it is something that Christ has called us to do. Jack and I went to see RoboCop on Friday night. And uh, I, I remember that RoboCop, I think, came out like 1984 or 1985, somewhere in there. So if I say anything about it and you haven't seen the movie, then uh, it's not a spoiler, right? This is not a spoiler alert. But in, in RoboCop, there, there is uh, this, uh, it's I think 2028, and uh, the, there are robots that are overseas and they are fighting our battles for us and doing all these things. And people are talking about uh, having them be policemen in, in our communities. 
that it would be great if a robot could just come in and, you know, take care of business and, and, you know, robots can't really get shot, so everything would be okay. But they discovered that they needed a human element, that, that robots could not make the kinds of uh, decisions that humans could make, like shooting a child versus shooting an adult with a weapon. And so they decide that they need to include this human element. They begin to look at, at uh, policemen who have been injured or no longer able to serve in duty, and they find one that has been um, shot on the street and killed. I think his name is Alex Murphy in the movie. And so they're able to take some of the uh, parts from his body and incorporate them into this robot, really becoming, I guess that would be a cyborg. And, and so uh, as they do that, they get his lungs and I think his hand and his brain, and they incorporate all of this to make him this super cop. And the thing that they toy with through the movie is whether or not uh, the, uh, he has the ability to overcome his fears to be a policeman. When, when it really comes down to it, is he going to be able to uh, take care of the enemies that are coming against him? So there's this back and forth throughout the movie. And what we finally see by the end of the movie is that the human element overcomes the robotic element of his existence. That he is a brand new person, but he is a person that continues to carry with him that part of him, maybe the, the soul that he has always had that enables him to be the kind of policeman that he could be and to overcome the enemies that come against him. Now, I've talked about Wiley e. Coyote and Roadrunner, and I've talked about RoboCop, so you know I've been stretching for illustrations this week. <laughs> but I do think there is some significance in, in the idea that, that God has created us to be a new self a new self that, that we can learn about with the Sermon on the Mount, a new self that is able to overcome the challenges and the oppression and the evil and the sin of the world with the love of God given to us through Jesus Christ. It is a love that overcomes. I wonder today, are you familiar with that love? Have you been baptized into that love that God has displayed for us? Let us pray. Our God, we come to you today recognizing that we have great challenges ahead of us in this world. That our natural tendency is to return evil when evil is given to us. Help us to hear there is a better way. There is a different way that we could live our lives. Give us strength, wisdom as we move ahead. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.